Our faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Well, aloha and welcome to the believer's journey. And this is going to be an interesting show today. It's going to be very, very different than what we've ever done before. What uh, we've decided to do, since we have so many questions uh, that I really don't get to on the show, we decided to have a a free-for-all question, what we're going to call it, you know, question um, on the fly, questions on the fly. So basically, uh, my guest, Debbie Ortiz, she's going to be the moderator here, my host, and she will be reading the questions that we receive. And also, for those of you who are all on watching on your Facebook Live, you can write in any questions you want, and um, we'll try to get to them. We have a lot of questions. We may or may not get to all of them. So before we start, I want to talk about, you know, how fun this um, coronavirus is. I have a, um, you know, I'm really in, into Hawaiian wear, and so I have a nice little... Uh, mask that's made for me with pineapples on it. So this is my Hawaiian look. Of course, uh, my my wife gave me one like this, and I guess this is her Texas look. So now I have plaid, even though it doesn't go with my Hawaiian wear. I guess she's trying to convert me somehow. Anyway, it's been fun. I want to let you know that my uh, guest today, her name is... uh, Debbie Ortiz, she's been a longtime friend of mine and even a longer time friend of my wife's. And uh, when I knew her, she was a registered nurse and uh, a very good registered nurse. I, I say usually when I have a problem, she, I call her. <laughs> you know, Debbie, what is this problem? What is this big thing growing out of the side of my neck? You know, things like that. So uh, Debbie is somebody that's been around uh, a long time. She um, an, an amazing step in, in faith in her life. She decided to become a real estate agent. I guess she was stressed out as, as becoming a nurse or working as a nurse in the hospitals. So she went into real estate. However, she went into real estate in 2008 and 9 when the real estate was falling apart and going bankrupt and all the real estate agents were fleeing and she came in and, and made a success out of it. So um, I want to want uh, to introduce her. I want her to tell her tell you all about herself. And and there you go. Hi, I'm Debbie Ortiz, and yes, I am a broker owner now. I uh, have an office here in San Antonio, off of Paisanos Parkway in 1604, and that is Realty Executives Access. I also am from the Dallas area, so therefore I couldn't leave Dallas out. So I have an office in Dallas, up in Frisco area, and that office is Realty Executives Metroplex. I've been doing this now for a long, long time, and uh, I started this career thinking that uh, I would do it for fun, and obviously I didn't. I took it further. So I love what I'm doing. I'm still servicing, and I'm helping others, and um, really, really enjoy what I'm doing nowadays. Um, just to let you all know, uh, who, who, those of you who don't live in Texas, and you might live in Moldova or Hawaii, you know, she, she works in Texas. <laughs> Um, We use her when we uh, buy and sell our houses. Uh, We've done it about four times now, and 
Uh, she's probably one of the best real estate agents we've ever had. She really watches our back. She um, negotiates to the death of what we can get until we can get no more. And she's really good at it. Anyway, so today we're going to delve right in. We've got a bunch of questions uh, laid out before us. We've got about 17 or 18 questions that have been sent to us. And so Debbie has all these. And uh, uh, if you've written in these questions and you uh, happen to be from Moldova or Europe, and uh, we've kind of cleaned up the grammar a little bit, so um, it's written a little easier to read and so forth. And also, we don't think we're going to go ahead and read people's names. I think she's just going to read the question themselves. And uh, if you happen to be writing in your question uh, and you uh, don't want your name mentioned, just write in anonymous or something like that. I don't know how she's going to read your question or to whom she, or who it's going to be from. So uh, you can go ahead and uh, ask your questions on your Facebook Live. Okay? So let's go with our first question. All right, Alan. The first question is, when is the rapture? <laughs> okay. Um, this is interesting. Uh, the rapture is, uh, and for those of you who think that the rapture is not written in the Bible, it really is. In Thessalonians, it says the word caught up. Well, if you look up the words for that in the definitions of the Greek, the words caught up literally mean rapture. Because we don't write that word in in English doesn't mean it's not there. Okay. However, there are probably four different raptures that are worth commenting Two. One is what they call a, a pre-tribulation, which uh, if you look at the seven-year tribulation, you have what they call pre-tribulation, which is before the seven years. And then you have one they call mid-trib, which is in the three-and-a-half-year period. That mid-tribs, those people who believe in mid-tribs, also feel that they are what they call a pre-trib. And the reason why is because when you take that seven years you really can divide it in half because the first three and a half years is considered what they call uh, the time or beginning of sorrow. And the great tribulation doesn't start until after the temple is desecrated and you have that other three and a half years. So a mid-tribber may consider themselves to be a pre-trib just before that three and a half years. Then we have what they call the wrath trib. And the wrath trib happens right around before the seventh bowl is poured out, and that's probably going to be about three to six months, I'm guessing, before Jesus returns. And then finally, the, the fourth one would be, there are people believe that uh, post-trib is that as Jesus is coming down on the second uh, coming, that he'll have the rapture, the people will meet him at the time and come down with him. Now, that all to be said, I do want to say there's a lot of people out there that believe there isn't going to be a rapture, and that's fine. I believe it's important to understand this. It's not important to know or think, you know, when the rapture is happening. What Jesus talked about is that we need to be ready. He gave a parable with uh, ten virgins, and he mentioned about when, when he was ready to come, you know, five had oil and five did not. So the five that didn't had to go run get oil. And in the meantime, when he came, he let five in, closed the door, and the other five couldn't come in. And I think it's more important that we live in a, a life that's ready for Jesus rather than worrying about when it might happen. Um, anybody that tells you they know for absolute sure that the rapture is going to be 
pre-trib, mid-trib, or whatever, uh, they cannot prove that without opposition in other scripture that proves something different. So really, it's, it's, a, it's something that we come up with on our own that is our own personal belief. And we have a lot of belief in one or the other. And there's strong scriptures on most of them. So understand, this is only something we understand to be true, not necessarily that's actual fact, because we can pull out the scripture and say, ah, it says it's going to come right at this point. It doesn't. Even Jesus says nobody knows. He didn't even know the time or the hour. So there you go. Very good. That was a great answer. So I have another question for you. Um, during your program with the missionaries um, from Madolva, you said that you don't believe that Christianity or salvation is an event but a journey. Does that mean at the moment or event when I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin and come into my heart that I wasn't saved? And what do you mean that salvation is a journey? Okay, um, I know in these programs it gets a little, you know, we get through this quickly, but um, what I mean by that, if you, the prayer of salvation, that we call the sinner's prayer, um, that is a creation that was brought about about 150 to 200 years ago during the great revival that came out, okay? Before then, we really didn't have a prayer of salvation. Now, do I like the prayer of salvation? I do. I think the prayer of salvation, the prayer, uh, repentance, prayer of repentance is really a good thing to have. However, what the Bible teaches us is that we need to have a lifestyle to live in Jesus, to make him Lord of our life. Jesus said over and over again, you know, if you remain in me, I will remain in you. If you remain in me, then you are my disciples. Paul said that you, you need to work out daily your your salvation so salvation you know just because you say a prayer and what i want to differentiate is this you can say the prayer of salvation jesus forgive me of my sin you know come into my life etc cetera, etc cetera, however the words are and if you literally change your life it, it, your life is transformed because you've made jesus lord of your life that prayer is important and it's good and it, it's like a starting point However, if you pray that prayer and there is no transformation of life, there is no following Jesus and his teachings, there, there is no uh, making him Lord of your life, well, the prayer is meaningless. And the prayer is not in the scripture anywhere. It's something that we created. So the prayer is good if it's followed by a lifestyle that makes Jesus Lord of your life. And so I will say to you on your follow-up question, uh, if you prayed the prayer of salvation and made Jesus Lord of your life, absolutely you are saved. Absolutely. You know, following Jesus, making him Lord of your life is what it does to be part of him. Even when we look at Romans uh, 10.9, when it says to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the confessing with your mouth is a testifying that you are his. The believing in your heart, which is really the believing in your being, which even goes further, that word believe is an active verb, not passive. So it's nothing we think that God is true. It's something we choose to act upon. So if I'm choosing to act upon and follow the teachings of Jesus within my soul, within my life, that is believing. And therefore, that when Romans takes hold of my life, and it really works for salvation. Very good. Now, in my mind, the answer to this next question is yes. 
<laughs> are the streets of heaven really paved in gold? Okay. You know, we have songs, we have preaching, we have teaching that, that the streets are, are gold, and the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> the only – and in Revelation chapter 4, really gives us the only idea of what streets of, of streets of heaven are like because it says before the throne – John is seeing this vision of the streets of, of uh, heaven before the throne, and he says they're like a crystal, like a crystal sea. However, in Revelation chapter 21, it describes the New Jerusalem and the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven onto earth. And the New Jerusalem is described with pearly gates and streets of gold. Right. So really <laughs> what we have are is the... Uh, streets of gold are are in the um, New Jerusalem, not in heaven. Okay. Well, that answers that. Takes care of that. Answer for me. All right. Next question is, um, did God create evil? And if he didn't, then why is there evil in the world? Okay. Um, <clears throat> see if there's other questions typing huh? in. See if there's other questions coming in. <laughs> well, I did. There's not yet. Okay. <laughs> So, no, God did not. In fact, God cannot create evil, okay? I have uh, talked about this on another, another program, that God is holy. And because he's holy, he can only do that which is holy, that which is perfect, that which is love and good and, and so forth. The reason why we have evil in this world is because God also created what we call is uh, free will. He created his angels with free will. Uh, one of his angels is considered Lucifer. We often call him Satan. But Lucifer was created with free will. And Lucifer chose to rebel against God, and so did one-third of the angels. So they were cast out of heaven. Well, what we have is Lucifer coming onto the scene on earth, trying to take people away from God. So when we choose with our free will against God, then sin enters into our lives. Sin enters into our world. And now we have things in our world that have become evil, become distorted. Even the very nature that God created within us of his nature, when, when it says that we will uh, create man in our image, we're talking about an image of characteristics that are holy and love and kindness and forgiveness and, and so forth. And those got distorted and perverted through time as well. So God created good. God created all these things that are good. But evil sets in because of free will, because of our choosing, and it brings that in. Okay. All right. Um, I don't have any other questions that have come in, so I'm okay. going to continue on with the ones that I have. Uh, in your first video about relationship, you said that Jesus drank wine. I cannot find that anywhere in the Bible, um, only that that he turned water into wine, but it did not say that he drank any of it. That's correct. Okay. He didn't um, drink any of the wine at, at, that we know of at the wedding. Now, he might have. It just wasn't written in. Um, I imagine he did, but, that again, that's going to be my own little, you know, what I think. Okay, mm -hmm. what's actually going to be true to Scripture is that we do know that Jesus was in the upper room before he was arrested, before he went to the cross with his disciples. And he had a cup of wine, and he had the bread, and he, he drank the wine, and he ate the bread. 
at what we call the Last Supper. So he had at the Last Supper did drink wine at that point. That's the only place we really know right. that it actually says he drank and wine. That's, yeah, that's the place I've only yeah. seen it in. And, and, and uh, I think in that show that I, that I talked about drinking the wine, I think it was the first show I ever we ever did, um, why we talked about that was because when I was young and I asked about drinking, you know, is it right or wrong? Of course, at the time, I'm a teenager, and of course it's wrong because I was not legal age. Mm-hmm. But I was told that the Bible said that drinking alcohol was a sin. And, of course, when I became uh, a student of the Bible and read, I started reading that it doesn't say that it's a sin. It doesn't say you should not or cannot drink alcohol. The things it does say is that it does say that uh, we are to keep a sober mind. Right. It does say we shouldn't drink hard drink. It does say that uh, Paul says drink wine for your stomach, for, you know, over when he's talking to Timothy. And in the New Testament, Solomon says, you know, drink and be married and, and, and work a good life and, and work hard and so forth. And then it says not to party all the time because then you'll become poor. But we do know that if you drink like Jesus, like the Last Supper, um, or we have a little, as long as we keep a, a clear mind, we're okay. Um, if you happen to have a problem drinking, like you have a problem in um, uh, an abuse or so, so forth, I would say you shouldn't drink. I mean, I think that there's areas in the Bible that even though it doesn't say something's right or wrong, if you're having a hard time in your lifestyle and it causes you to stumble, well, then you shouldn't do it. Okay. That's, I have a question from a viewer right now that is asking me, how, how do you, let's see, how do you, an answer from God, how do you know you are walking in God's will? So the question is, how do I know I'm walking in God's will? Right. How do you, how do you, an answer from God? I think that should have said, how do you know an answer from God? Okay. And how do you know you are walking in God's will? Okay. Oh, this one's really touchy because the Old Testament is, you know, and I really go back to the Old Testament so much because our lessons are there. In, in full view, it's so easy because God talks a lot about praying and he talks about living in him and he talks about praying when you're not living in him and praying when you are living in him. And so he actually says in areas that, you know, if you're, if you're not living in him, your prayers are detestable to him. So when we get to the New Testament, Jesus says things like, you know, if you ask anything in my name, then it will, I'll, you know, answer or give it to you. The problem we have there, I think it, traditionally a lot of us have been taught that if we pray and say the words in Jesus' name, that's praying in his name. And that's really not accurate. Praying in his name is the fact that you're living in him, Okay. I'm living in him, and therefore I'm seeking him, and the things I pray for should be that which, you know, exemplifies the fact that I honor him, okay? So when I am praying for something, and let me give you an illustration of my own life. I was in Hawaii. This was by 1985 or 86, and we had gone over there thinking that I was going to go into YWAM, and it fell apart and fell through. And I'm in this little bitty church. It's on Maui and uh, Kahului, little Nazarene church. There must have been 30 people there. 
And there was a group, and I don't know if it was Teen Challenge or Campus for, for Christ, um, came in, and they were in, this, in the church. And as we're in between songs, we're singing, a guy came back to me and said, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, you need to be in full-time ministry. I had no idea. I had never seen this person ever in my life. But this was something that, to me, I was praying about. And yet the answer came from somebody I didn't even know. And he didn't know me from Adam and, and didn't know this is what I was praying about. But I think it's important that we seek him. I know too many people who claim to be Christians, and I imagine that they are Christians, but they don't always live the full life that says, I'm honoring Jesus in every area of my life. And then they ask, wonder why their business or things in their life are not going correct, correctly or as they wish they would or they're not prospering. And I could easily say it's because everything in your life isn't in accordance to the will of God. So we had a pastor one time, and I know this is going to take a long time for the answer to this question, but we had a pastor, Robert Emmett. He said something I thought was really cool, and I use this a lot. He says, you know, we need to um, preach, teach, uh, preach, reach, teach, and uh, help people in Jesus' name. And this, I think, is important that we understand this in our, in our own personal lives. And it really depends on what you're praying for. You know, if you're praying for a job, if you're praying for something to happen, and uh, answers come in various ways. Answers come, like I said, a person coming up to you. Um, there's a book that I have on my website called "To the, uh, God Be the Glory, written by Lon Ekdahl. And he talks about things he didn't want to do that people approached him with to go to preach at a church or leave a church to go to another church. And he wouldn't want to do it. And so what he did was he ended up praying. And um, even that, he wasn't sure. So he put a fleece out. And this one particular time, he was, uh, this church wanted him to come to Hawaii. He didn't want to go to Hawaii. He was building this church up that he was at, and it got to be a really big size. And the church he'd be going to would be really tiny, 30 people. <laughs> and um, what happened was he decided to put a fleece out. He says, okay, God, if you want me to go, you know, I have this big RV. It's the winter time. If you can sell it, you know, uh, then I guess, you know, you're opening the door and you're revealing to me that this is what you want me to do. So in the wintertime, when RVs don't really sell, without cleaning up the RV so it looks spectacular, he put it on the market, and within days, it sold cash. So for him, that was obviously God opened the door wide open. So what you have to do when you pray is you have to be able to look for the doors that God opens. If, if it's a hard situation, put a fleece out there. It's very biblical to put a fleece out to see you know, what God is doing. There's a, there's a, and actually I was going to read this a little later, but there's something that, that's been eating at me about our nation and about not only our nation, all over the world. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, God says this, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or, spend, or send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin 
and will heal their land. This is a mouthful, but, you know, I see in our land, I mean, we have a pestilence going on right now. I mean, and we've had pestilences for the last 10 years over and over again. Right now it's the coronavirus. It was H1, you know, N1 just a while ago, or SARS, or all these are coming more and more and becoming more global. And I can see, you know, the things that are happening with uh, famines and things like this. But God doesn't say that just because we're in America that everything will be fine. And he doesn't say that the country needs to pray and seek him. It says, my people. And if you are a believer, he's talking to you. If you sit there and you're, all you're doing is pointing the finger at the other side, you're grumbling and complaining, and you're not really seeking God. You're, you have, I mean, Jesus says, why look at the log in somebody else's eye, or I mean, the speck in somebody else's eye when the log is in yours. You know, we need to clear that out. We need to clean our lives. I mean, David said, seek my, you know, seek my heart and cleanse me. So we need to sit and do that. So when you ask God for something, uh, I would say, first off, ask to seek for God to seek your life out and reveal to you what may be sin, what may not be sin, what is in your life that, that needs to be cleaned out, what needs to be sought after him. And then the second thing, if he does reveal something to you, that you get on your knees or you get somewhere where you can pray so that you can seek God to remedy that situation so that you can uh, seek him so that when you do pray, he, God feels honored to bless you in your prayer. That's a long answer for a short question. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Alan. That was a very good answer. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, another question that we have is, I've always been told that God is a mystery and the things he wrote in the Bible are a mystery. How am I supposed to know God or Jesus if he keeps himself a mystery? Well, I'm going to be real blunt. The fact that we're told, and a lot of traditional teaching is we're told God is a mystery, is a lot of crap. Okay, <laughs> The Bible says that God is light. What is light? Light is revealing. Light is something that shows the way. Light, light is something that, that gives to us what we need to know. So God is not a mystery. And he came and showed us the plan of our life. Jesus came out and, and to reveal himself as light. It says he is the light of the world. I mean, if he is the light, he is revealing so the fact that God is a mystery is a bunch of crap. I don't like the phrase. I don't like the teaching. And we need to understand that God is light. He reveals himself. He reveals his plans. He reveals the scripture. And it's not that hard to, when you finally see that, that we can, that our eyes can be open to what God has for us. Um, what was the last part of that question? Uh how am I supposed to know God or Jesus if he keeps himself oh. as a mystery? So the fact that he doesn't keep himself a mystery, all you need to do is just when you read the scriptures, just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what the scriptures mean. Remember, Jesus said this. He said that I send you the comforter. I send you the Holy Spirit, and he will teach you all things. Okay? So if he's going to teach you all things, then obviously then Jesus is saying he's not a mystery. Okay, he's a revelation to our lives so that we can become like him. How is it that we're to become like Jesus 
if he keeps himself a mystery. It's impossible. So obviously, that teaching is, is bunk. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, a while back, you taught in one of your videos um, that the third commandment, which says, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, was not about speaking his name in vain. Can you elaborate? Yes. Okay. There's another one of these traditional teachings we get. Okay. And I was taught this, oh, through and through. Okay. First off, let's, let's go to the third commandment. Okay. So it says, you know, uh, thou shalt not take thy name in vain. Okay. If you take the word, take the word. If you look at the word in the Hebrew, take, it actually has the, a more clearer meaning of carry. I don't, if you shall not carry the name of God in vain. Okay, so kind of what that means is that you won't, you won't live that life uh, that's in vain to God. Now, let's, let's back up and, and dissect, dissect this a little bit better. The word God, okay, is not God's name. It is a title. Okay, so let, let's start there. God's name is Yahweh or Jehovah or Jesus or, you know, Yeshua. If you want to talk whether it's going to be in Hebrew or it's going to be in English or your language, whatever language you, you have for those names is what you have. But when we say Lord, Lord is not Jesus' name. It's a title for Jesus. God is not God's name. Elohim is not God's name. These are titles for God. Mm-hmm. Okay? So when we say, you know, take his name in vain, we're, the reason why we're not talking about speaking it is because the very – initial part of what God is, is that he's all about relationship. Mm -hmm. So when God develops his people for him and and speaks to his people and brings his people along, it's to develop and live in a relationship. So the Ten Commandments are not a bunch of rules and regulations. They are the means for us to develop and live in a relationship with him. Those are the first four commandments. And in the last six commandments, they're a relationship that we live with one another. Okay, it's all about relationships. So when we go to the third one that talks about not taking his name in vain, if we look at the type of of relationship, we're talking about we shall not say that we're a believer and the next day live like we're a sinner. That's taking God's name in vain. Okay, Mm -hmm. if I am in a in a ballpark and and I've heard somebody say this, uh, I like I like his uh, analogy. I, I believe it was. Prager, I mean, he said it. He's a Jew. This is really great and from the Hebrew. He says, you know, a guy standing in a, in a ball game and somebody, you know, strikes out and he yells, Jesus, that was terrible. Well, God's not going to zap you dead because it's not about the, what the words are. It's about what are you living, you know, and are you living for Jesus? Are you saying that you're a, a believer and then because you want to impress people and think that God's going to bless you while you're living in sin? So it's more about your actions. Absolutely. It's more about your actions, your lifestyle, the fact that you're, you are his rather than the things you say. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you for that. Another question. Who killed Jesus, the Romans or the Jews? <laughs> oh, boy, this has been a this, – isn't this a century-old question? <clears throat> okay. What's really cool about this one is that neither one – Jesus said in John chapter 10, I believe it is, he says that no one takes my life from me. 
that I give my life freely and willingly, that the Father loves me because I do this. And he says, the Father gave me the power to give, lay down my life and take it back. So if Jesus was a martyr, well, then he really didn't give his life for our sin. If Jesus was a martyr, how could he be our salvation if he was killed without his, his, uh, him allowing it to be done? Mm-hmm. So he laid down his life on his own. He gave his life on his own, just like he picked it up and brought, came back to life three days later. So okay. Jesus had to have given his life freely right. in order to save, our, save us from our sin. Okay. When babies and small children die, do they go to hell since they are not born again? Really? Okay. Um, I know that there are, there are um, denominations that believe if you do not say the sinner's prayer, then you will literally go to hell. And they believe, or some believe, that if you're young— and like a baby or a small child, and you haven't uh, said the sinner's prayer, that, that you die, you'll go to hell. And I think this is a, a denominational teaching that is really not only dangerous, but is so non-scriptural. Um, even in the Old Testament, uh, God gave allowance for what they called a, a, an age of accountability, Okay, and I believe in that. That's that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wouldn't change that just because we're in the New Testament. He wouldn't change that because now we want to live by the prayer of salvation. What He wants to do is understand that God is a God of mercy and a God of grace, and He is the same always. And so, therefore, if you have a child who doesn't know the difference between right and wrong, and that was really the idea back in the Old Testament, you know, you understood. You know what it was to follow God or not follow God. So if somebody who is six or seven years old doesn't understand this and dies, obviously, especially according to the Old Testament teaching, that person is going to be in the bosom of Abraham. Is going to be part of him, and that's important to understand. That I think, you know, when we realize young children, young babies who have died are now with Jesus, that's comforting. And we need to see God in that light. God is not a big ogre running around with a long beard and a big old hammer ready to smash you because, you know, <laughs> you've done something wrong or because you, you're too young and because you die. And, oh, you didn't say the prayer. You're going to hell. Right. I mean, that's just not God. We have this this awful picture of, of God built to us through traditional stuff that we need to go back and, and see what God is like. And Jesus was the perfect example. When Philip asked him, you know, tell, show us who the Father is, and, and Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, what is Jesus? Well, Jesus is compassion. We see that all the time. The woman who came to him, who they brought to him because of adultery, you know. Did he throw a stone and kill her? No, he didn't. Should he have? Well, he could have. But that really wasn't the point. Mm-hmm. And so I think we need to understand God is grace. God is mercy. And God, God is fair. He is holy. And because he's holy, he's just. And a just God would not send a baby to hell just because he didn't say the, or she said the prayer of salvation or because they were a child and didn't know the difference between Jesus and, and Lucifer or salvation. Okay. That's, by the way, that is my belief. 
I'm sure there are others who are pastors and teachers and so forth who believe differently. But this is how I see the scripture. So I, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I don't think this one's off base. I really think this is right on key. Since there are denominations that believe differently than I do, there are some believe that, you know, if you're not baptized, you know, and you right. die, you go to hell. Right. So, you know, there are those out, denominations out there that do believe differently. And this is my take and my belief on the scripture and this is how I teach it. Okay. Thank you very much. Did creation take place in six 24-hour days or a billion of years? <laughs> There's another one of these. <laughs> okay. What's really cool about the creation story, okay, and there's a couple things here. Um, the first one is the word day, okay. In, in the Hebrew, the word day is yom, Y-O-M. You can look it up, okay. The word day or yom in Hebrew has three distinctive meanings. One of them is the fact that a day is like a day of daylight. That's one meaning, okay. A second meaning is uh, a day which is a 24-hour period of time, a, a cycle. The third meaning is a period of time, which could be uh, 100 years, 5 days, 100,000 years, a million years, or so forth. It's a period of time. The Bible doesn't really distinguish which one it is there in Genesis. However, if we really read this in the... Um, the fourth day is when really we see the 24-hour period, which is created at the 24th day. I mean, at the fourth day. Now that all being put aside, um, when I was going to Liberty University, I had a professor, and he asked this question about the 24-hour day or so forth, and everybody raised their hand on the 24-hour day. They thought this is what it is, and then he said, "Is it really? How do you know?" And we had to study and look for it. And he's made this comment. He said, it's really not that important whether it was 24-hour days or 1 million years or a billion years. What the message is, is or is not is about how long it took. The message is, is the fact that God is the creator. And my side note on this is that you know, it doesn't matter if God created it in 24 hours or if he created it in 14 billion years or 2 million years or whatever. The fact is that God create, is the creator and he's the one who created it. I truly believe as believers in Jesus, as believers in the Bible, those people who are creationists and those people who are, are on the opposite side who believe it's a long period of time, so you have the short and the long, need to get together and accept one another and stop calling each other names and having to fight because God is the creator and that we can all agree on. So if we can all agree on that, we should be able to agree on the fact that we can disagree about the time frame. It's not that important. The important part is that we know that God is the creator. The fact that the Hebrew is what it is, we kind of need to walk away from that and let just know that, um, that God is the creator. I think that this is why we can't get our, our teaching of creation back into the school books in the public school system because you have one side fighting for 24 hours you have another side fighting for a long period of time they both believe that god is the creator well why don't they just join forces and ignore the time frame and just get into that god is creator we're trying to get god back into the school system this is the way to do it not to be at odds each other and fight for your own way let's fight for the the thing we do agree on okay all right 
I have a, a from a young man that uh, it's a little lengthy, so I'm going to read this. Uh, I watched your short video on To Believe, and I have never heard this teaching before. I looked up the definition in the dictionary, and you were right. It says it's something you understand to be true. Then I started to think about what you said and the difference in the meaning of the Greek verbiage opposed to the English and other languages. Now, this is my dilemma. If the Bible is translated incorrectly, then how do we know what is correct or what part of the Bible is true and what is not true? That's a really good question. That really is a good question. Okay. First off, let's go back to the word believe. Um, so in the, in the Greek, um, the word that we translate from is pistuo, okay? And that's what we, we translate to the word believe. And I, I'm not sure if I remember how much of this I taught in my short video. I only did eight minutes, so. And the word in the Hebrew was aman, or amach, aman, is the Hebrew word that we translate into the word believe. Now, here's where the problem lies. In the Greek verbiage and the Hebrew verbiage, okay, those words are active verbs. And literally, if you say, I pistuo, I believe, it means that I, I am acting upon following and living in the teachings of Jesus or the teachings of the Bible or teachings of God. I'm living that. I'm acting upon those things. In the English, and you can go to English. It doesn't matter. I found this out in Russian and Romanian and Spanish all have the same meaning with believe is that it's a passive verb, which means something we understand to be true, which we don't have to do anything all, just think it in our head, and therefore we are a Christian according to the scriptures. But that's not how it's written. Now, it's not that the Bible is translated incorrectly, okay? It's just that when you take the word pistuo, there's no one word that you can take and put the English word to that word pistuo. If you're multi, if you're bivocational, or not bivocational, if you're bilingual or you you speak many languages or so forth, you understand what I'm saying. There are times when you take a word in one language and you just cannot put a one word to it in another language. So when I say pistuo, I'm not saying believe. I'm saying pistuo means you act upon and follow the teachings of Jesus. Now, because it says that 130 times in the New Testament, you know how big our Bible is going to be if we just added sentences, you know, to every word that can't become a word. So we pick the closest word possible. Now, based on all that me being said to this, I believe that those who are teachers, those who are pastors and and uh professors and things really need to take it heart and and explain that and teach that so that we get down to the lower levels or the other levels of the church that were taught in Sunday school classes the correct way to live because I think that's where where the, the um, meat is or where the you know we need to work on so we can believe that the Bible is absolutely correct in 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 what it's written okay the translation really doesn't lose its flavor when you talk about whether it's uh, correct or incorrect or perfect or non-perfect. Because if you take the word believe, even though we think it one way, and you compare it to the rest of the writings of the Bible, you realize that what God is writing in there is that he wants us to live a life 
that says, I am living for you. I am choosing you. I am doing the right thing. I am obedient to you. I'm making you Lord of my life. So when you see the word believe, you can actually see that believing is actually a lifestyle. That it's actually doing something that honors you because I'm acting upon it. Okay? If you take it just in a, in a way that is something I understand to be true, now you've contradicted the Bible in other areas. So when you look at Scripture, you've got to be able to look at it all together at the whole theme of the Scripture and say, does it all connect the, the, the dots? If it's not, somewhere is, is there's a misconnect in the translation or in the way you interpret it. Okay, So that's what we need to do is look at those dots, connect them so that they all match. And in that regard, we know the Bible is absolutely emphatically perfect. And, and that's really what got me to, to follow completely Jesus because I really believe the Bible is 100% true. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, I always believe things happen for a reason. And uh, if all things do happen for a reason, uh, did God plan for Adam and Eve to eat the apple from the tree of knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil? So the first part of that question is? It, did God plan for Adam and Eve to oh. eat the apple from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I thought you said something about uh, being reason. Um, uh, oh, if all things happen for a reason. Oh, okay. Okay, let's get to the tree first off, because then I can, I can go backwards. First off, the tree of knowledge of good and evil um, never says it's an apple. Okay, that's a misnomer. That's something that's traditionally taught to us. It doesn't say. All it says is the fruit. We don't know what the fruit is. It could be a pomegranate. It could be grapes. It could be whatever. But we don't know that it's an apple. Okay, back to the traditional teaching that's not correct, not accurate. It's, we don't know that it's an apple. Okay, we'll start there. Now going backwards, um, when and when you said when you said the comment of I always believe something is everything is for a reason. Right. The problem with that statement is that when things are done that are evil or wrong, okay, God doesn't do things or plan things right. in ways that are that are evil or wrong or incorrect to right. get to a good. Right. See, a lot of people think that. You know, because somebody did something that was evil or wrong, God planned it so he can do right. Mm -hmm. God doesn't do that. God's, not, God's a holy God. He's, he's not a God that's evil. Uh, so therefore, he wouldn't create or plan something evil so that good could come out of it. Right. What happens is things that are evil or bad or, or wrong happen. We may choose it to happen because of our own sinfulness. And God can take out of that and make it for good. Okay, so for example, I may do something wrong, and if realizing this, I could submit that to God, and God could take what happened that was evil or wrong, and he could turn that to good. Now, I may not give it to God. I may just live, live it and keep on going. Well, then if it hasn't been given to him to create that good out of it, that may never happen. Okay? Mm-hmm. But uh, God never, ever, ever does things. I mean, it's, you can't say that God does things, the means justifies the ends. Because in God's world, it does, that's not true. Uh, that's, that's a human thinking. That's, a, that's our own. I think it's a way we can justify 
why God, why evil is there, why God does stuff for good, mm-hmm. because he has to fix the bad. But he didn't make the bad to become good. I'm not sure. Go back to your question, and let me answer it more correctly. So, again, if all things happen for a reason, did God plan for Adam and Eve to eat the apple from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Okay. So, God gave Adam a choice. Just as like I said earlier today, he gave us free will. So, he, he gave... He gave two trees out there. He says, you know, you have the tree of life and you have the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can, you know, I don't want you to eat from the latter. I want you to eat from the, the first one. Okay. And, and he said, and these are your consequences. If you do eat from the latter, this is what's going to happen. So he gave him free will. We want free will. We don't want to be puppets. Okay. We don't want that God forces us to love him, forces us to do that. He, and he wants us to adore him to love him and honor him on our own this is why he gave us free will okay so basically in all of this he didn't plan for adam to choose the wrong tree however he did have uh or didn't understand what would happen if he did choose the right or wrong tree and he understood the course that it would take okay okay all right, so next question. Um, where in the Bible does it say when you die, you go straight to heaven? Okay, it doesn't. No. Nowhere. Nowhere. <laughs> you know, I was in a, uh, I took a eschatology with uh, Elmer Towns at Liberty University, and he asked this question. He says, how many of you believe that when you die, you go straight to heaven? And then everybody raised their hand. He says, okay, show me where it says that. Somebody brought, up, somebody brought up, you know, the guy on the cross. Well, you say you'll be with me in paradise. And he says, oh, is that heaven? He goes, show me where it's, that's heaven. And then he said, we were, somebody brought up the, the parable about the rich man and the poor man, one being in the bosom of Abraham, the other one mm-hmm. in, in Hades. And he says, and finally, we had to go home and research this, okay? And we came back to class, and then none of us could find out exactly where it said. And he says, that's because it's not there. Okay. However... It's comforting to know that when we pass away, we can go back to the guy on the cross. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. means that, you know, when we pass away, when we die, we'll be with him immediately. That, you know, wherever he is. Now, if you go to Hebrew teaching, Hebrew writings, you know, Old Testament uh, writings and so forth, the Talmud teaches a lot about, you know, what it is to uh, after we die. You have Hades and you have uh, paradise. And in paradise, you have the bosom of Abraham. And in the bosom of Abraham, why people are in the bosom of Abraham is because he is, he is that protection for those when it comes to uh, an awaiting time for the uh, resurrection. Okay? This is Old Testament teaching. This is Old Hebrew teaching. So when Jesus is talking to this guy on the cross, he's talking to a guy who's Hebrew who totally understands that. We come along with our New Testament thinking, oh, that must be heaven. But if we don't understand the Old Testament and the the Talmud teaching, we're not going to understand that. Really, it's paradise. It's a teaching that has been around for thousands of years. And Jesus used that teaching about paradise, about the, you know, so forth, to come along so they understood that. We weren't there. We don't understand that because of today's thinking. But Jesus taught it as a paradise, as a place, as a waiting area that we, he is there with us, and we are in that protection. 
And that's kind of the Old Testament old teaching. I know there's a lot of people that don't understand and teach it differently. Oh, yeah, we go straight to heaven. Paradise is, in fact, not heaven. I mean, it's not the same thing. And so we need that is, uh, and that's, I can prove that right out of the scriptures. I mean, it just is what it is. But um, anyway, okay. but we do know we are with him. If we are a believer and we call on him and, and we pass away, we are with him. That we know for sure. Okay, very good. This next question might be on the minds of quite a few people. Um, Considering the events in the world today, such as the coronavirus, are we in the end times? Hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was listening to uh, Max Lucado comment on this uh, a couple weeks ago, and he gave a pretty good answer to that. Uh, I really believe... When, when, uh, that we are in the end times. Now, I don't know where we are in the end times. I don't know what the situation is. But Jesus said that when you see that the days are like Noah, or, you, know, you should know that the time is soon, that he's going to return. Paul says that in the end days, there's going to be a pouring of the Holy Spirit. Like never before in the history of the world, we've had wars and rumors of wars all through history. We've had good things happen all through history. We've had bad things happen. But never have I seen we've had such a, not just nationwide, but a global situation where we have evil going on and we have the Holy Spirit poured all over the world. We have these two things uh, at its height. And now you have a situation where we're seeing famine, we're seeing corona- the coronavirus is a pestilence, okay? And actually, if you um, follow the scriptures, uh, the horsemen, the four horsemen, one of them brings pestilence, one of them brings famine, one of them brings war, uh, and so forth. Now, the one that brings war is really interesting, too, because it all fits together. Uh, for example, when it says it's going to take away peace, you look at What's gone on back in 2013, I think uh, Egypt was, was rioting, you know, all through their nation. Then you had uh, an influx of riots all over the, the world. You had them in France. You had them in England. You had them in Germany. You had them in Hungary. You had them in the United States. You have, now you're getting them in Hong Kong. All over the world, we're seeing a lack of peace all over the world. Iran, I mean, it doesn't stop. It doesn't, it, there's all over the world. And now we're finding that we're having pestilence all over the world. And then we're having more earthquakes. We're having more tsunamis. We're having more problems within the earth. And they're happening more often. They're happening with more intensity. And it's also more global. So when I look at the coronavirus, I'm looking at just another factor that here we are looking at the end times, that Jesus is going to be coming back soon, and we need to be prepared. Um, I was reading something recently that uh, really irritated me. And uh, it was somebody who, who said, you know, uh, and this had to do with the, the murder we had just recently in our country, um, Floyd. Um, and what really bothers me is that people are too apt to point the finger at a government official or the government or institutions or, the, you know, all these problems. And what we're back to this, you know, 
Second Chronicles. We're we're so busy pointing the finger somewhere else at some other at the other side. You know, I'm on the left side, you're on the right. We want to point the finger. And really what God is saying is that, you know, you need to get your life right within your own heart. The evil comes within. It doesn't come from an institution. Every person has a responsibility for their own life and their own relationship with God. And within this, you know, I don't think we're going to see anything fading out because, you know, we want the government to change things. The government is not the answer. The institutions are not the answer. The fact that you're black or white or whatever color or whatever country you're in is not the answer. The answer is the fact that we need to submit to God. We need to humble ourselves. We need to turn away from our sin. We need to seek God. And he says, then I will heal your land. Then I will forgive you. And if we don't understand that, we need to start reading the scriptures and realize this is where it's at. It's on a personal level, each individual of his own people. And we need to really look at that more and more. But, yeah, I think the coronavirus is another step into seeing the fact that God is, in fact, coming soon, or Jesus is coming soon. Okay, thank you for that. We've got another question that's come in from one of our viewers right now, a young lady, asking, do you feel that when a person accepts Jesus that the churches should have people have more follow-through to help them with their new walk with Jesus? Oh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> I have Good question. <laughs> well, it's one of my little things I get on the soapbox about. You know, and, I, and I don't, I'm not sure I really like the term accept Jesus. That's not really a good biblical term. When we turn to Jesus and make him Lord of our life. Um, but yes, I believe that when we become believers— or we accept Jesus or turn to Jesus for, to be our Lord, what happens too often is people pat us, in the, pat us in the back, hand us a Bible and walk away thinking that we're going to get it all and we know how to do it. And that's so untrue. It's so false. It's, it's just not going to make it. And we have more people turning away or dropping their Bible and saying, well, I don't understand. Nobody helps me or, or they're all hypocrites or so on and so forth. Yes, not only do I believe the church has a responsibility to guide people and, and teach them and help them along, I think it's important that we have somebody that we can go to who is a disciple us, someone who is spiritually stronger, more mature than we are, that we can go to, we can go and say, you know, I'm having a hard time with this problem in my life, this temptation, oh, pray for me. And you can go to them. They can help you. They can help you with Scripture. They can help you with prayer. They can strengthen you. This is, I think, so important. And if the church doesn't do it on that scale, then you need to reach out to somebody that you respect. I also will say if you're a guy, I do not think you should reach out to a girl. If you're a girl, you should reach out to a guy for that kind of um, uh, help. You need to find somebody to disciple you of the same sex who is more mature spiritually than you are. But yeah, excellent question. It's one of my pet peeves that I really think the church has <laughs> dropped the ball on. All right. Well, we've got that answered. Um, <laughs> you mentioned that you thought denominations are good. How can you say that when all they do is divide the body of Christ? Okay. I like denominations because I think denominations gives us freedom of worship, freedom of choices of what we want to do or what we'd like or don't like in the body of Christ. What I think is is not a good thing is when people of certain denominations, and I'll just throw out this, let's say a Methodist, 
will talk to a Baptist and say, you know, because you're a Baptist, you're in sin and you need to become a Methodist and, and accept Jesus and, and for your uh, Lord and Savior, when in fact they already have. And so we point the fingers because they're not in the same denomination. There's the problem. It's not the fact that the denominations are causing the rift or the separation, but the people who are locked in or made their denomination their God rather than Jesus their God. And realizing the fact that, you know, if, like, for example, Debbie, okay, Debbie, you brought up in the Baptist church, right? Yes. Okay, and I have not. However, I would never look at Debbie the fact that because you're a Baptist, you're not a Christian. That's hideous. That's stupid, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I would look at your life and the way you walk and the way you, you conduct your life in, in Jesus. And if that's on, on par, then it's great. If it's not, it has nothing to do with whether you're a Baptist or not. So denominations don't divide. It's the people who don't have their life on course realizing it's the body of Christ that we need to love and nurture and pray for and uplift, no matter what denomination you're in, no matter what country you're in. Okay. I like that. We've got a very short time. I like that. I was going to say, we may have uh, time for one more question. Okay. Uh, In your video about marriage and the responsibility of the wife, you said that it, is, that it is the responsibility of the wife to honor her husband. But if my husband is not a believer, do I still need to honor him as unto the Lord? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Paul says in 1 um, Corinthians chapter 7, he says that if you are a believer and your spouse is not, that you need, and you know, that you need not to leave that spouse, especially if they don't want you to, okay? And in Peter, both of them, Peter and Paul, both chime in on the same thing, that you need to live in an honoring way towards your husband so that you can be a witness to them, so that you can win them over to Christ. Both of them say that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that because your spouse is a non-believer and you are, you should divorce them. That's, that's not scriptural. It's not biblical. And nowhere, anyhow, and if there's any teaching out there that you hear, then it's anti-Bible. Uh, yes, you need to honor, honor your, um, your spouse. It never says to dishonor your spouse, even if they're not a believer. But it says to live in the Lord, honor him, as you do the Lord, and hopefully that person will come around. Um, and I'm only talking about marriage now. If you're going steady, you have a boyfriend, uh, you shouldn't be going out with a person anyway if they're not a believer. But if you're married and that's the situation, then you need to honor Jesus. And in your honoring of Jesus and prayer for Je- to him about your spouse, hopefully your spouse can turn around and, and, and join you in the life right. of Christ. <clears throat> right. I agree. I definitely agree. Do you have time for one more? I don't think so. We are over time. (laughs) We're over time. (laughs) It's been a great session. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, we have more questions, obviously, but um, it's been fun. It's been great. I'm so glad you came to do this. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. And for all of you out there, if you have more questions, you want to write them in and send them, whether you you want to do it on YouTube or my uh, email you know, we have an email or my Facebook. Uh, just uh, please do so or Twitter. And everybody have a wonderful day. Be safe and uh, aloha. Thank you for joining the Believer's Journey. 
Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com.